Welcome to The Gathering Place, a Blessed is She podcast. We're so glad you're here. Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hi, Nell. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Beth. Hi, Nell. I can't believe I'm here. I can't either. It's the best. It's already not enough time. I know. More time, Lord. Mm-hmm. Come again, Lord Jesus. Give us extra time. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've been on the podcast a couple of times. I have, but usually I'm a call-in guest. You are. <laughs> hiding in my bathroom from my children. But now I get to be with you guys in studio. I think there was one episode that we recorded for like an hour and a half, oh and it got gosh. cut down to like 18 minutes or something, because you just kept on running away from your kids. I think I would throw like graham crackers at them, and then go in a different room. <laughs> like birds? Yes. And then you guys would say, oh, we can still hear them in the back. <laughs> but we're here. To redeem that? I mean, I think it's sweet. I like all our little early, you know, <laughs> all of our early efforts that are like so funny and totally thrown together. I like it. Well, I think that's like what makes Blessed Is She interesting is that it's not airbrushed. We're just real. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, if someone's a new listener, would you mind introducing yourself? Oh, I wouldn't mind at all. Thanks, Beth. So I'm Nell O'Leary. I'm the managing editor here at Blessed Is She. I work closely with these two goons, Beth and Jenna. I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota. My husband, I have four kiddos with a fifth on the way. Lord, help us. I'm an attorney, but I don't practice. Instead, I get to hang out and work with our devotional writing team and all of our writing products here at the amazing Blessed Is She. Beth, you and I don't get to work on projects enough together. No, not often. For my taste, but our studies that we put out are something we always get to collaborate on, and Mm -hmm. they give me... So much joy because when you not only write the questions, I mean, in in our book for this Advent, you are one of the storytellers, but when you write the questions for all our studies, I feel like what you bring to bear is years of listening to women, like active listening with your heart. I really do love to do the questions because I think you can appreciate something as you read it and yet not internalize it and not apply it to your own life. So I think the questions are a unique opportunity to encounter the Lord. I remember a priest friend of mine, we were praying together after morning prayer, and he just spontaneously prayed this really beautiful prayer, spoke right to my heart. And I said, Father, that was like pitch perfect. Thank you. He said, oh, I just just pray what I need to hear. And I kind of try to adopt the same philosophy when I'm writing questions. What, how do I need to apply this? What would help me pray with this devotion I just read? And please, God, it helps someone else encounter the Lord. Yeah, I definitely think it resonates from a place of your own relationship and intimacy with the Lord, that it's just what you said. It's applying, what do I need to hear at this time? What is God opening up in this story that I could invite others into as well? So I just think it's really beautiful. I think that questions typically, as you said now, like seem like a slap together thing Mm. in other books. They could be, or you could see them as that. But this is just from a really heartfelt, real place of intimacy. I think too, it's it's not an afterthought. Our questions in our books aren't an add-on. They're an integral part of the text itself. Yeah. So I get kind of sad when people say like, can I not journal or I don't typically think you're reading the questions and like actually sitting down and thinking about them. I think you're usually reading them and like going to do other things. You're not like spending time in prayer. So I just think it's beautiful. If you are someone who 
has always hated journaling. This isn't necessarily like prayer journaling where you're like, dear God, today I dropped a cup of water all over the floor. Okay. <laughs> I cannot believe you're outing me like that. It's an honest mistake. No, it is not. I'm, I'm just saying grieving. you could write that in your dear God jar- journal. I know you might. <laughs> this is an actual invitation into unpack what you just read. There's like actual science behind writing things down and it becoming a part of your prayer and your thought patterns and how you actually perceive the world. Okay. And I would say not just unpack what you've read, but like unpack your own story. Totally. So I think it's totally possible to read the daily devotions or the Advent devotional. Yes. To read anything about the faith and appreciate it and agree that it's true and yet never allow it to penetrate those deeper parts of our hearts, never allow it to touch our own woundedness. It's sort of the difference between sympathy and empathy. We're like, oh gosh, sorry that happened to her. There's this like Christian apologist who always says, now as I'm speaking right now, you're thinking of someone else who should be here. And I want you to know you're supposed to be here. You're the person that needs to hear this. Something that you touched on, Nell, which I was thinking about when we were writing this book a whole year ago, which honestly blows my mind that we wrote this last Advent, is kind of this idea of, I've heard this before. Mm. Susanna Spencer so beautifully narrated our book, Maranatha, the story of our Savior. She really unpacks these themes over the four weeks of Advent, diving into how Jesus fulfilled some of the prophecies in Isaiah. And it can really seem elementary. Like when I was rereading it, I was just pulling a quote for Instagram and I was like, it is so elementary, but it's so profound. There is so much depth in just simply the manger scene, in simply the idea that the God of the universe became incarnate as a tiny baby. That seems simple. And it is like he is so humble that he simplified himself in such a beautiful way. And yet it's so incredibly profound. I think another way of saying what you're saying, it is simple, but it sort of feels like old. Nell, you kind of alluded to that too. Like, uh, yeah, I've been here. I know that. That's very sweet, but it's sort of distant, right? It's not fresh. It's not new to us right now. That might have meant something whenever, but we're not approaching it with a novelty, the novelty that the Holy Spirit brings to every moment of our lives. Well, and that's something we try to do when we sit down and think about what are we going to put in our Advent book this year? What are we going to put in our Lent book this year? You know, there's a big brainstorming session and just thinking, what have we heard in our community? What are we feeling in our hearts? Because instead of it being a saccharine, like, oh, Jesus is born. So sweet. Get the presents, get all the decorations out. Where's the Advent wreath? Instead of that, it's, I want to see this with new eyes every mm. year. Yeah. But I don't want it to be contrived. Mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. to see it and feel it new. Yeah. So when Jenna came up with this theme of Maranatha, you know, come Lord Jesus, come again Lord Jesus, I was really surprised. Mm-hmm. I've never approached Christmas this way before. Mm. This actual language is fresh Mm. and it's making me think about the Lord's coming in a new way. Again, it doesn't feel like commercialized. It just feels really fresh. So St. Bernard of Clairvaux talks about the three comings of the Lord, 
how he comes and is born into time and space. And then the third coming, right, is when he comes again in glory. But the middle coming, the second coming, is really invisible, and it happens when Jesus is born in our hearts. So I feel like the whole Advent devotional, is it, it's about the first coming, but it's ushering in that second, that middle coming of Jesus being born in our hearts. And looking ahead. Thanks, St. Bernard. I love that. St. Bernard has so many insights because I think we skip over the middle one. There's a lot of, like you said, totally. Beth, like the Lord is at arm's length. Great, he came. The second coming will happen at some point in time. But this middle one, this hidden one. Yeah. Because it's not a one-time event. Jenna, I think it might be helpful if we maybe define Maranatha because it's a really beautiful, powerful, churchy-sounding word. Maranatha is an Aramaic phrase. It's in the Bible, 1 Corinthians. But I don't talk about that in the book. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is BTS. Yes, behind the scenes, Deep. just for you. Anyway, but it's a word that I heard sung at a retreat once. It was just this continual kind of just singing. And we just kept on like praying on the word Maranatha and saying, come Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. So that was my first real introduction to this word Maranatha, which has a double meaning. It means our Lord has come and Lord come again. So I just think it's beautiful that these two incredible concepts are wrapped into this one word, which again, I talk about in the introduction of Maranatha, the book, but that's really what the whole devotional is about, is this understanding and journeying again through these prophecies in Isaiah that Jesus fulfilled that prove and show that he is the Messiah that the Jews had always waited for. So our Lord has come. Mm -hmm. And then this concept, as we're, we're talking about now, which is, Lord, come again in my heart, come again in my family's hearts, in, in the world, um, and then actually come again in the second coming. I love it. I think you frame the book so beautifully with that. And then when we have our weekly writers, Megan Helmstead and Chika Anianmu and Sister Maria Kambui and the Beth Davis, it just feels like their stories are so profound for intimate moments in their life that as a reader, it's like, oh my goodness, this is for me too. It really does take your arm at that arm's length, like pull it closer and closer and closer until you're inviting Jesus into your heart too. That's what we try to do through story. That's the power of story. Yeah. We share our stories, our real stories, our un unfiltered, unedited. Well, they're edited by me, but, you know, <laughs> on airbrushed stories because that's what we have. I had this moment in prayer last week. I was praying with sinful woman forgiven in Luke 7. And I was, you know, in the tradition of Ignatian contemplation, I was in the scene. And I can't be anyone but the sinful woman forgiven. Like, I cannot stand by and watch because I am the sinful woman mm. forgiven. And I do have such gratitude. And so I was kind of calling to mind those times when the Lord has rescued me, has um, come through for me. And I was just kind of letting that, like, gratitude wash over me and like the tears were flowing. It was, it was really very beautiful. And I said to the Lord, I, I could thank you for the rest of my life for even just this one thing that you've done for me. And I had a sense, it, it wasn't like there were words, there was just like a deep understanding in my soul that that was not enough for the Lord. For me, I'm thinking that was everything. I can't believe you did that for me. But I realized I even had like a bit of a 
I don't know, maybe like an orphan posture there. Like, well, you did that for me, God. So no worries. We're all good. Because Mm. that was a really impossible, generous, incredible thing. That's enough. And I'll praise you forever. And he's like, that is not enough. Mm. I want to give you everything. There's always more with the Lord. So it was beautiful to remember how he came into my heart in that moment and to feel that gratitude afresh, but then to realize like that's just the beginning for the Lord. There's always more. He wants to come again and again and again and again. That's beautiful. It's so true. And what an invitation this Advent season to go to the sacraments. Mm. He's given us all these ways to grow close to him. The beautiful, beautiful, life-changing graces of the sacrament of reconciliation, going to confession, of receiving our Lord in the blessed sacrament. So even for people who feel like, you know, they go to church on Christmas, it's a family thing, they're like culturally Christian or Catholic, to say, he wants to come in a radically new way. He wants to give us so much more if we let him. So if it's been five weeks or it's been five years, it's been 15 years, get to confession. So you can receive him really worthily in the blessed sacrament, as worthily as we can with a clean heart, clean soul, ready for him. That's really beautiful, Beth. I think every Advent really is a battle to like break out of this like sleepy sweetness of like just family and presents and traditions and like wake up to the radical reality that the savior of the world was born in time, took on our humanity to rescue us and to like believe that again it doesn't even make sense. It's impossible. Yeah. Why would God do that? And to really allow ourselves to plumb the depths of that sacrifice, that act of love that God became man for us. I think you're spot on. I think confession is a way to like let the light in a bit mm. rather than just go through the motions. Like if you want a heart that is primed and ready to receive the Lord, go to confession you'll hear the word anew in Christmas mass and in the devotional. And really anytime you open the word, we're so much more receptive when our souls, we get all the junk out. Yeah. And I think too, I've stumbled in this area of I can downplay my sin and think, like, I don't really need to go. And wow, through the habit of going for me to confession every week for the last almost two years, when I'm able to, sometimes I'm not. I've had a chance to go deeper into the roots of those seemingly Mm -hmm. innocuous, not a big deal sins so that I can, I do it on Saturdays and then I try not to sin too badly before Sunday morning. By the time I get to receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament at Mass, it feels like I'm really here for him. All my senses are engaged. It's like everything's activated. I'm really ready to receive him instead of, like you said, going through kind of the sleepy motions of our lives, not just Advent, but... There's a lot of detail in our everyday life that separates us from being aware of his presence and his knocking at the door and his desire to hold us and be with us. So for me, even if it hasn't been something huge, just the habit of confession has cleared out some deep cellar cobwebs maybe Mm. that I was ignoring that are those underpinnings of why I was separated from him. I love how you describe that about like waking up your senses. I That's totally my experience of confession. In fact, I went yesterday and it's like a fog lifts for me. I remember one of our former writers and dear friends, Jenny Eubing, wrote a post about a particular experience of sin in her life. And before confessing that and really diving into it, getting free from it, 
there was sort of just an apathy toward all things spiritual. She didn't really want to read the word or go to mass. I, she was committed. She was yeah. doing it. Yeah. But until she really began to name this sin and, and get free, get out of that, it was like something woke up in her. And that is waiting for us, even in Advent, even in the busyness of prepping for the holidays, trying to navigate if you're able to spend time with family or not this year, what that's going to look like, or it's going to be on Zoom, or what about decorations, and what make sure everybody's Christmas list is, is done, and then what are you going to get for your spouse or your loved one, and then what do you really want, and this whole very busy season, how do I step back and say, what do I really want to be ready for? Is it to unwrap presents? No. I mm. really want to be ready for him to come again and be born in my heart. And we get to do that, you mm. guys. What a joy. What a privilege to be alive, to have the opportunity to try every day. For me, it's every day I have to try again to make a welcome and inviting place for him in my heart. In a way, they're all like beautiful concepts and we can kind of agree on one level, but we need him. We need Jesus. And we all kind of laugh when we say like 2020, but our desperation is really showing in this year. Totally. Wasn't it a desperation that was always there, Beth, but that was covered over? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Everything's stripped bare. So that need is really acute. Mm-hmm. It's no longer passive. It's fully activated. I was surprised when we went first into lockdown in, in early March. My kids came home from parochial school and we all gathered around the dining room table for some kind of idyllic pseudo homeschool experience, which was <laughs> non-idyllic, right. to say the least. I was surprised at the level of tension in my marriage. My husband went from working 10 to 12 hours a day outside the home in a law office to being on the third floor of our house. I went from having a lot of space and time to do my work during the day and care for our little kids to suddenly being the full-time tech aid computer helper person of my older children who are in grade school. I had so much resentment and frustration that my household pattern had been upended. Mm. And I really took it out on my husband. Throw in the mix there, we have a surprise baby early on in COVID. So pregnancy and feeling like this isn't how I ordered my life. This isn't what I've laid the groundwork for, the hard work I've done, Lord. Like this feels very punitive. Mm. All of this feels like I did all the right things, didn't I? Why why aren't things ending up the way I want them? So I've spent the last seven months just searching, well, what was it that I was thinking hope was? Mm. I thought hope was a desire for a particular outcome. So I was hoping my kids would go back to school and things would be quote unquote normal and I would get my life back and the way I wanted things. And I had hope, you know, a lot of hope for specific things, but realizing if my hope is actually in the Lord, my hope is actually in eternal life with the Lord, then as we know from the catechism, like then I'm, I'm called to trust in Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to help me fulfill that hope of being a saint in heaven, which is such a different thing than I just wanted my life back. Mm, yeah. I think a lot of us just feel like if I hold my breath long enough and the scientists do some kind of magic, we'll just get our (laughs) lives back. But that's not what God wanted. He didn't want to just give me my life back, my old life. He wanted to give me a new life radically dependent on him Mm. for everything. And once I realized that, it took a lot of pressure off of my husband, took pressure off of my kids that they were going to fulfill that hope of behaving or creating an environment that I specifically desired and just said, we're going to roll with this and see where the Lord wants to take us and teach us. But it's ongoing, Beth, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Nell. I've been reading about Ignatius, you know, with my spiritual director. And there's this one line from the book that I'm reading that has really encapsulated a lot for me that I've been discovering and uncovering this year, the past few months. 
but really having a realization of this is how I've always lived my life. A lot like you are like I'm being upended in a lot of ways in my heart and my soul. So this line says, Ignatius admitted his powerlessness over his sins and in humility allowed God, not himself to be the source of his holiness. Wow. (laughs) Isn't that insane? Beautiful. Wow. Yeah. So I've been wrestling for a long time with just self-reliance in in my own life, um, whether it be work or family or, you know, juggling all the things that I have to juggle. But I realized over the past few months that it hasn't just stopped with these like worldly life practical things that I've been self-reliant. I've been Mm. self-reliant in my own holiness. I've been self-reliant thinking I can you know, behavior modify and like get my sins under control, just control myself. Mm. And granted, self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, praise be to God. But I was taking it to another level of, I need to control this. And the Lord is not capable of doing it. I have to do it. I have to get out of this myself. It's up to me. Totally. Mm, Yeah. And not only that, that last line Allow God to be the source of my holiness. I cannot drum up my own holiness. I cannot make my own holiness. He's the only source. It's just been so penetrating to my heart. And that's a place that I want him to come alive. I'm trying every single day to invite him to be at the center of my heart. And I want him to stir that up. I want to be like Holy Spirit stirred up that that's where my source is. That's where my font is. Wow. Pretty wise lady. Ignatius was. He's a man though. Pretty wise dude. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Beth? Yeah, I think similarly, I've discovered a new depth of self-reliance that I didn't know was there. And that has been very painful. There's just a particular area of my life that I had really been managing a lot of my pain and actually took pride in it. Like, I'm not letting this thing run my life or affect me. I'm over here doing what God's calling me to do, and he's making me free, and I'm living a a life of purpose with and for the Lord. And I had a sense on my eight day, some of this started to come up, and it was not fun. I did not want to deal with it. I did not want to talk about it. I was like, let's talk about us. I love you. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to go and just be with the Lord on my eight day. And he just like very, very gently was kind of pressing on this thing. It's time. It's been kind of hanging around in the back of my mind. Always like the pressure, which is not new, but really just came to a head recently. And I realize that my old way of dealing with this thing is not working. I physically cannot sustain it. My emotions are fraught. My nerves are raw. I I can't like keep a lid on it anymore. And so that feels very like messy and out of control. And it's not good. It's not fun, you know, but I know because of this verse that the Lord gave us for 2020, Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I'm doing something new. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I've really hung on to that. It's a verse, not just for our retreats, but really for over our ministry. And I think prophetic over our lives. And so I'm like hanging on to that, 
that that's what the Lord is doing this year. He's making a way where there has been no way. And really where I wouldn't have allowed him to mm-hmm. make a way before because I got it. <laughs> like I'm managing this. I have figured out a way to live like this. And the Lord's saying, yeah, it's not, that's not good enough. I don't want you to have to live like this anymore. So that means I have to kind of let go <laughs> of this idea I have of myself being a bit more healed and mature maybe than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And just come like smack face to face with my utter desperation for the Lord. Yeah, I'm, I'm desperate for him to come into this area of my life. And not only, as you described, into the circumstances of my life. That's fine. I actually trust him to do that. Mm. And I've seen evidence of that. Where I actually need him to come is into the pain of it, into the wound of it. And to heal me, not only heal, but first, I think, even just to comfort me. So that's me. That's so beautiful, Beth. It's hard and it's real. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thanks. So I think for me, I don't really feel like I had a choice. And lots of times we do have a choice. Choice to, for what? Uh, oh, to, deal with our, like, to deal with our stuff. Okay. We might even be vaguely aware <laughs> that we have it, you know? But the circumstances of my life brought it all like everything right to the forefront. I wonder (laughs) if it could have been different, like if I had like opened the door little by little. Instead of it just blowing off the hinges. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I sort of think that's what Advent is. The Lord saying, hey, I'm here. I'm naked and vulnerable and small. I'm this little baby. Like, could I, as non-threatening as can be, I'm actually coming for you. I want to come and rescue you in just the most tender way. In an unassuming way, really. Yeah. Can we allow him, this meek little infant, can we allow him to come into the most painful places this Advent? And you know what the best part is, is that we make it in this book easy to start stepping into the water. You don't have to jump in the deep end. You just start stepping along with the stories of the ladies, sit with best questions, sit with the scripture, and make your way into it so that by the end, when you read our last story, which is Sister Maria Kim Bowie's mm. conversion story, you've built up some scaffolding to kind of get you there. So if that feels like a big ask, don't worry, we're going to be with you the whole time, hanging on to each other, clutching each other, making our way toward the manger. I'm excited. Come, Lord Jesus. Come again. Amen. Shall we pray? Yes, please. Now, would you mind leading us? Oh, I'd love to. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we ask you, we come before you. We ask to be shown our need for you. So in all the the blasé and the apathy and the hurts and the wounds and the long track records that might have us keeping you at arm's length, We ask that you simply and vulnerably, like a little child, open that door in our hearts. Maybe you have to blow off the hinges, Lord. Open that door in our hearts for us to recognize our need for you, our need for a Savior. Mother Mary, we're so fortunate to come to you, to turn to you, our Heavenly Mother in Heaven. We entrust all of our fears, all of our joys, all of our everything this Advent, that it can be an Advent where we truly worship, 
with you in front of the manger, your incredible Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this through the intercession of the Holy Spirit. As we pray, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Bernard, pray for us. So if you want to get your book, Maranatha, the Story of Our Savior, head over to our website, www.blessedisshe.net slash shop. You got it. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.